Well, Jonathan McCreese, the president of Hellenic Ministries, is supposed to be standing here now. You'd notice the difference. He's a little shorter than I, but he's got a full head of hair. Wonderful, wonderful head of hair. Um, but he's in Greece, and um, he had to make a call on that a couple of weeks ago. Would he cancel his Australia visit? Um, there's a number of things happening in Greece that he just felt he needed to be there to offer leadership to the teams. But um, uh, some of you may have heard on the news um, continued tensions between Greece and Turkey, Turkey opening up the borders. Um, the camp, Camp Mariah, um, on the island of Lesvos, which is supposed to uh, house around two to 3,000 people. Aaron and Bella were, were there over the Christmas just serving um, the folk there. Um, when they were there, it had about 17,000 people in it, uh, which accounts for the fact that if you look at it on Google Maps, it only gets a two-and-a-half-star rating. Um, and it's now got about 20,000 people in it. The islanders of Lesfos, the residents, aren't happy. Um, some of the people who have made their way to Lesfos are rioting and the military has had to move in. The NGOs, including Hellenic Ministries Arm Euro Relief, has had to move out. And so it's, it's a pretty terrible situation there. Um, and then you add on to that boy, coronavirus, what if that hit a camp like that and you just think it's, it's just a terrible situation. So Jonathan made a good call and decided he just needs to be in Greece at this time, but, he, but he's uh, uh, Marco poloed me a few times and said, would I please um, pass on his regards and um, it's great to have Anton uh, with us. Anton Buchs is um, uh, professor of what Lots of subjects, actually, at the Perth Bible College. I think he teaches just about everything. Um, but, but he's on the Hellenic Ministries board and has been, been with us this weekend um, uh, for board meetings um, yesterday. So great to have you, have you with us. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, so uh, it's my privilege. Uh, in some ways, you realise God's sovereignty. Um, Jonathan can't be here, but the Lord had put something on my, my heart anyway, and now it's a good opportunity to to share that. Uh, in the current situation, I think we, I guess we think about that whole situation on the island of Lesbos. And, and um, it, it just, it, it does, you know, even as I described it then, I could, could see some of you grimacing because it just sounds like a hopeless situation, doesn't it? You just think, what hope is there, God? What, what, what can we do? What, what can we do about a situation like that? And, and, and at times we just feel so powerless, so powerless, what difference can we actually make? Um, and how do, we make, how do we make sense of some of, the, some of the things that are happening in the world around us right now? Um, uh, some of the, the situations in which we just feel so out of control. How do we make sense of that? And how do we respond, respond to it? Let me, let me turn, or, or yeah, let me open up with you. Acts chapter 4, and would you, would you turn to Acts chapter 4 also? I'm going to read verses, verses 1 to 21. It's a time in the early church where there was also great uncertainty. Um, we have vast historical records that tell us a little bit about what uh, was happening in this, in this region, and in particular, Jerusalem. And yet even, even reading through the history, you can sometimes miss the feel of what it would have been like. We read through Acts and 
and, and we, we, we hit on the, the points of great miracles and supernatural events and things, and it's exciting, and we kind of, wow. But, but there were the day-to-day realities of living as an oppressed people under, under the Roman rule. There was the reality of identifying as a Christian and being marginalized. There was, there was the reality that to outwardly speak of your faith in Christ would alienate you against the Jewish authorities and could bring persecution to your home. Uh, these, these are some of the realities. And so, so day to day, actually, um, whilst in one sense, Acts is a very exciting book, we shouldn't miss the fact that these were uncertain times, just perhaps like we're facing at the moment. And so that's the context for, for this story. Chapter 4, verse 1, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to, to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was the evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And as the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years of age. 
in this passage is, and it's been a favourite of mine for years, I think, but in this passage is a wonderful little phrase, which I think is a, a most wonderful description of the Christian life. It's, it's there in verse 13. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the whole Sanhedrin are perplexed. They don't know how to account for what has happened. But more than that, they note that Peter and John are, are not great orators. They're just unschooled, ordinary men. How do you account for the boldness? How do you account for the confidence? How do you account for this presence that they seem to, seem to have? And it's, it's quite simple. They simply note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the description of the Christian life I, I love. To be with Jesus. They got the concept right, but they got the tense wrong. They said these, these men had been with Jesus, but they missed an important fact. And that is, it's captured there in verse, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you account for this, this enduring sense in which these men are with Jesus? It's accounted for by the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 makes it clear. You might say they almost spoke the truth. These men had been with Jesus. They just missed it a little bit, changed the tense. They were being with Jesus. It's a present tense. And it's a reality that can be accounted for only by the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do I think it's such a wonderful description, description of the Christian life? It's, this is the gospel of, of grace. I recall as a, as a young man, if I, had to, if I had to describe my early Christian walk, it was characterized by so much effort by Stuart, effort to be the best Christian that I could, so much exhausting infuriatingly uh, let down effort by Stuart. And if I switch to what is my experience today, I would say it is this um, inexplicable trust in the effort of God. I just trust him. He's done it. Stuart, you can relax with God. Um, I've mentioned a, a book before by, by Sky Jathani, simply titled With. It's it, With. He talks, he talks about four different types of Christian living that are common in evangelicalism. Life over God. Um, you could say that's, I, I, I call that the, the T and C's, terms and conditions, kind of, kind of Christianity. Life over God, terms and conditions. Yes, okay, okay, but God, here are the terms and the conditions of my acceptance of you as Saviour and Lord. <laughs> it's, it's laughable, but we do it. 
Um, there's life under God characterized really by legalism. It's contractual. I do this, God, you do this. Life from God, that would be, that would be prosperity doctrine. Everything that, everything that we receive as a benefit if we, if we join ourselves with God. And life for God, that's the activism and that probably described a lot of my, my early days as a, as a Christian, the activism of the things that I can do for God to, to prove myself to be a faithful child of his and so forth. It's interesting, I, I think as many evangelicals, it's not so much the terms and conditions or the, or the uh, prosperity doctrine that captures us. I think it's the isms, the legalism and the activism. I don't know, what's our problem with isms? But I think they're the ones that can kind of appeal to us a little bit, bit more sometimes. Note, um, names, are, names are very, very important. When we lived in the US, Bronze, Bronze Dad, um, who carries Bronze maiden name, um, Roger Mildy, he came to visit. And uh, we'd, we didn't have time or finances to travel much when we were in the US. Um, but, but he was visiting and as a special treat decided to take our boys, Dan and Nat, um, to, uh, to see Niagara Falls and his treat. So we thought, okay, great, go. So um, uh, passports in hands, they flew off and granddad was treating, uh, I guess Dan and Nat were 12 and 10 at the time and, and treating them to this, this special trip. And, and I remember later that day getting a, getting a, a phone call um, from... Uh, uh, US, U.S. Customs and Immigration, and uh, they were holding, they were holding Bronze Dad and the boys up at the border, wondering who is this man that is trying to take your children across the border, because the names didn't match up, and essentially the the question was, and poor Roger was totally distraught and and, and so forth, but but the names didn't match, and they wanted to know were the boys with him. Or not. Um, you see, there is a there is a very very important shift that takes place in how the people of God are referred to in the New Testament. Jesus alludes to it in in John fifteen when he says, "I no longer call you servants, for servants do not know their master's business, but now I'm calling you friends. I'm changing your name, and with that change of name comes a comes a change of status." As well, there's a there's a shift that is that is taking taking place. Um, I've got a got a couple of graphs to, to look at um, just on the the common common names of God. I wonder, uh, Kate, whether you could put that up for me. Um, you know, the common names is a disciple or disciples. Uh, that's little writing, isn't it? So I'll go go through them. That's the blue one. The red one is a Christian or Christians. The green one, a believer or believers. Purple, brother or brothers. And the light blue um, is saints or, or saints. A saint or saints, rather. Um, now, as you notice, the, the most common one over, over 200 um, instances is, is disciples. In the Gospels, that's way high. That's way up there. In fact... Um, um, it's used on 256 occasions up there. But notice in Acts, it drops down to it's only used 30 times. And once we get to the epistles, totally disappears. The word is just not used. Um, 
What else we got? Well, the, uh, uh, Christians and believers is pretty steady. There aren't huge occurrences of those at, at all, um, in, in all maybe 11 and 3. The, the ones that sort of peak come the epistles, they're the interesting ones. They're the ones I wanted to, to point out. Brothers um, appears uh, quite a number of times in the Gospels, a little bit in Acts. And then the epistles, it actually ramps, ramps up and is used on 53 different occasions. The other one there is saints, doesn't appears once in the Gospels, a little bit in Acts, and then it shoots up as well. In the epistles, it's the most common. It's used on 56 occasions. So what does all of this tell us? Names are important. The people of God are, are no longer after Acts, definitely in the epistles, referred to as, as disciples anymore. We've... Commonly in the Gospels, a very, very easy definition or way to remember it is a, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, and discipleship is taking others to the one that you're following. That is very much the case, very much the case in the Gospels. But in the epistles, the names change. We're referred to as believers and saints. Uh, sorry, as brothers, and all believers too, but brothers and saints, they're the most common designations. And as brothers, that's a familial term, isn't it? That's the term you use for family. That's the term for, that you use when you share a name and you are with a particular family. Uh, saints, likewise. Agia, uh, uh, holy, uh, set apart. Saints is the term used to say that you are now a people who are especially set apart. But how do you, what are we set apart from? Well, we're set apart from the world, but, but how can you be in the world and set apart from the world? Here, here's the way you could do that. You could be still in the world, but set apart by being in something, some place that was holy. The Jews, for this, this was a very, very easy concept for them to say, I'm in. I'm in this pagan, dirty, sinful world. I want to set myself apart from that. I'll go up to the temple. And in the temple space, the surrounds of the temple, increasingly they, they felt that they had been set apart from what was unclean to what was clean. And until you get to the Holy of Holies itself, it doesn't get better than that. So you can be actually, they were still in the world, but they were set apart from the world by being in the temple grounds, a place that was holy. As Christians, how can we be set apart from the world, but in the world? By being in God. By being in Christ. By having Christ in us. By becoming the very temple of God. We can be simultaneously in the world, but not a part of the world. So we are with God. When immigration rang us, they wanted to know, listen, the names don't match. Are these boys supposed to be with this man? And we, of course, said, no, I've never met this man before. It's my you know, no, you don't do that to your father-in-law. I said, yes, absolutely, you know, all is good. And they were happy. But the thing, the interesting thing was, for us, we'd, we'd never thought about that. We're kicking ourselves afterwards. Why didn't we think about that? But why didn't we think about that? We were seasoned travellers. We'd been all over the world with our kids. Why did we not think about that? Well, quite simply, everywhere we went, we shared the same name. And it was assumed because we have the same name, they are with us. 
John 15, 15, Jesus switches the names. He says he's no longer servants but friends. He's changing the relationship. And on the basis of that, John 15, 16, he then says, and because of this, you're going to ask anything in my name. You can use my name now because you're with me. You can use my name now because you are in me. Everything has changed. You are with me, and so we share the same name. Saints, brothers, the relationship has changed. You are now with me. Thanks for that. We can, we can take, take that down. But what does, what does that actually mean for kind of a, a favorite verse of mine, a significant verse such as Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples. Does that mean, well, if we're no longer called disciples, we don't make disciples anymore? It, it, it sort of just, just means the language is, is changing. The language of Paul regarding that, he would say, um, instead of disciples, saints, instead of make, equip, he'd say something like Ephesians 4, 12, equip the saints. Go make disciples becomes equip the saints. Um, if before Pentecost a, a disciple is one who follows Jesus and discipleship is taking others to the one that you're following, post-Pentecost, I would say the people of God, a disciple is, is one who is with Jesus. And disciple, discipleship is, is sharing with others life with Jesus. A disciple becomes one who is, who is in Jesus, who is with Jesus, and, and is, is defined by, by life abiding in Jesus. And that's why in some ways you might say in our vision statement, why don't we just say, hey, as disciples of Jesus, we desire to live fruitful lives so our God is seen for who he really is. You know, um, well, we wanted to... We want to capture the fact that as abiding disciples, as, as disciples who are experiencing life with Jesus, we want to just capture that element and, and emphasize it because it's so, in, so important to us and it captures this important shift in the New Testament. Um, we have been discussing, as you, as you know, restructuring our church and documentation and that sort of thing to reflect multi-campus. Dan um, Craig, our, our church council chair, made the observation, in some ways, multi-campus is just the means by which we deal with growth. That's, really, that's correct. It's a really good observation. It's all it is. It's not an aspiration to be something. or to. It's simply how, you, it's simply how we deal with growth. Our real vision is is that as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to live fruitful lives so our God is seen for who he is. We, that, that kind of grows. Our, our strategy, though, the strategy is to, to equip the saints, is to equip one another so that we can, we can abide with Jesus. We can experience this, this abiding life. I mentioned... Um, I think back at our Christmas carol service, I've been reading a book by Bob Goff, um, he's a, a, a lawyer who's done some great work with um, children in, in Uganda and, and, and so forth. 
um, quite a character. And he, he loves, must have a gift of hospitality, loves to swing open, swing open his doors and, and invite people in. And he's, he's entertained world leaders and all sorts of folk um, by giving them a key to his house and say, hey, whenever you're in town, you know, meaning LA, come and, come and visit. Um, in, in fact, at the end of his book, he does what I've never seen any author do. He actually leaves his phone number. He, he actually says, you know what, I kind of figure... Might as well make this personal. Here's my number. Give me a call sometime. I've kind of been tempted to. Is this real? Like, you can. Uh, he's a character. He tells a story of his cabin up in, up in uh, uh, I think it's in Canada somewhere, up by a lake. They've hosted many, many guests there. They've got a big, big dining room table. And somewhere during a stay with the Goff family, you'll be invited to crawl under the table with a, with a texter and write a word or something under the table. And apparently on one occasion, he's lying under the table, just reading all the, all the different things that people have written over many, 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 many years. And his, his wife just yells to him, you know, what you doing? He said, I'm just reading. And she knows what's under the table, of course. And she says, ah, what's your favorite one? And he said, hmm, he's looking around, and he says, I reckon it's this one, just one word, with, with. It's a great description of the abiding life. It's a great description of what it means to be a disciple. I, I said the other week, by, by abide, I simply mean... Um, realize who you are as a child of God, who you are in Jesus Christ. Reaffirm that you are now a child of God. You are now with God and stay there, abide there, remain there. Live in that identity. Remain in it, abide in it, stay in it. Life with God. With. With. It's a great descriptor for what it means to be a disciple. They noted that these men had been with Jesus. And Luke fills in the gap that they could not fill. The explanation for that was they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were with God in an unprecedented way. And what was the result of this? Well... The rulers kind of thought, we're going to stop this thing. It's going viral. We have to shut this down. We have to contain it. We need steps to mitigate what is going to happen here. It's going viral. The whole world is going to be affected. We have to shut it down. We have to stop these guys from talking about it ever again, verse 17. And when they call Peter and John in and they tell them this, what is their response? Verse 20. Verse 19, they say, well, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. It's kind of a good question. But verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. 
Dumanai um, is the Greek, where we get the word dynamo, power. They're essentially saying here, we have no power to stop. We cannot help it. You can't stop this thing. We can't stop this thing. We are powerless in the face of the power of God. You can't stop it. We can't stop it. I don't know how many people I've um, spent time with over the years and they've shared a, some, some area of growth. I, I, I want to stop doing this and I want to start doing this. And sometimes... You know, we've chatted and they've been at the end of themselves and they've just been dis- in, in utter despair. You know, I've told myself I would never do this again. And I did it again. And I just am at the end of myself. And I often smile, say, cool. <laughs> that is a great place to be. And some of the best stuff that God ever wants to do will be with the person who finds himself in that wonderful, precious, beautiful place called the end of myself. That's when, that's when God does his best work. And I said, or would say, you say you can't stop doing these things. And God says, oh, let me get a hold of you. And you will not be able to stop what I am going to do. Philippians 2.13, Paul sums it up this way. He says, it is the power of God that is at work in you. It's God who is working in you to act and to will according to his good purposes. I love that because, because it captures both the action and the will. You might say, but... But sometimes, you see, the problem is, yeah, I want to, I sort of want to act in a particular way, and then I don't, and that's the problem. That's the matter of the will. But Paul covers both here. He says, that's okay, God's got that covered. It's God who is working in you to act and to will according to his good purpose. Romans 1.16, the power, not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. And salvation isn't just the moment in which you trust Jesus to cover your sins. Salvation is the moment in which you trust Jesus for forevermore to cover your sins and to perform that sanctifying work in your life, which we sometimes call the perfecting of the saints. It's the power of God forevermore until he brings you home. He's able to keep you from falling and stumbling and present you faultless before the splendor of his glory. It's the power of God that does that. It's the most marvelous thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful secret of the Christian life. And it's an unstoppable force. We are powerless to stop this. That's the gospel. It's viral. It's awesome. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. When God gets a hold of a person's life, it's unstoppable. Kind of exciting. 
I knew today I had to kind of keep a quieter tone, but I don't know about you, but that is pretty exciting, isn't it? Life with Jesus is an unstoppable force. There it is. Life with Jesus is an unstoppable force. And yes, it's not missed on me that we're currently talking about viruses and so forth. And, and we can, A, have a fear of a, of a physical virus, which it is, which is threatening lives which we care about very much and we need to be serious about it. And believe me, I am. Um, we need to be in prayer and we need to be God's hands and feet to people and we... It's, it's very real, and I, I, I do not for a moment belittle the impact that it is having on our world. But I don't want you to fear that. I want you to fear God. I don't want you to be focused on, on the power of the virus. I want you to use that as a symbol to be focused on the power of God. I don't want you to be thinking about this, this disease going viral. I want you to be, be, every time you're reminded of it, be reminded of the fact that that since the earliest days, since the early church discovered this truth, the gospel of grace has gone viral, viral, and nothing can shut it down. Nothing can stop it. Ours is not the first generation to speak about the demise of the church. Well, good luck with that. Because so far it hasn't worked. God just seems to be a little cleverer, and he's outlasted all of us. This is the story that, that transcends time, and it will continue to. This gospel of grace that is going viral in you and I actually finds its expression in practical ways as we engage with the physical virus that we are now encountering in the world around us, such as little ideas like pack a box to, to put a pot have a little box of goods just sitting at the door waiting for that, that call or that email in which, oh, the such and such family are about to isolate themselves. Great, I'll go drop this off at their door. Done. It's just a practical little thing. It's a little thing, but it's what Christians do in times of great, great need. I guess we're all, we're all looking for, with the coronavirus, COVID-19, a the day where we have a vaccine that is going to help us and protect us and inoculate us. Is it possible sometimes when we ask the question that probably quickly scooted through all of our minds, we just didn't, you know, let it lodge there for a moment. If the gospel of grace has gone viral and so forth, and if it is unstoppable, why is the whole world not yet one and bowing the knee to Jesus Christ? Can I suggest that there can be a type of inoculation? Um, it, it is possible, actually, to, to hear the good news, to, to hear this, but, but, but then miss the call to implement it into, into your life. There's a type of inoculation that, that can come to us that says, tried it, didn't work, I've given up on that now. But it's, 
honestly not that effective. It's not an absolute cure. It can be actually very, very easily reversed simply by once again coming back to the fundamental truth of the gospel and placing your faith in it, believing in it and putting it into practice. For those who have said, I've tried it and I gave up, it didn't work, I would say, maybe you misunderstood. (laughs) It's to do with proximity. It is unstoppable when you do life with God. Maybe you've tried life over God, terms and conditions, Christianity, under God, legalism, prosperity from God, for God, activism. Maybe you've tried different forms of Christianity and you've been thinking, doesn't work, tried it, doesn't work, I'm sorry, but you haven't done life with God. You haven't done life where you understand who you are in Jesus Christ as a child of his, a son and a daughter, where you... Where you abide in him. You do life with God. You remain in him. Stay in him. Every moment of every day is life with God. I would say the fallout rate, the inoculation rate for Christians who truly abide in Jesus Christ, I've got no statistics to prove it, but I would like to suggest by exceptional circumstances, it would be very, very low. Life with Jesus is an unstoppable, an unstoppable force. And we have the opportunity to, to be voices of, of, of something that's just a little bit different. So many descriptors of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to, and to be a Christian, they don't quite hit the mark. It is very simple, though. It's not complicated. This, we are not preaching some sort of esoteric secret knowledge here. It's all in Scripture. It's all in the Bible. It's there for those who have ears to hear. This is an invitation to do life with God. It's very simple. It's available to all of us. And life with Jesus is an unstoppable force. It really is. Bill Bright, um, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, says, hey, and I think I could add the preface, life with God. (laughs) Hey, all those who do life with God, here's his invitation. Come, change the world. Frank Lorbach, missiologist, um, spent many, many years in the Philippines, said the simple plan of God for saving the whole world is to make every believer so magnetic with the love of Jesus Christ that we're irresistible. God is irresistible. It's an unstoppable force. And we get to play a a part in that. We get to take this thing viral in the very best sense of the word. Yeah. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I want to um, thank, you for, thank you for your word. I want to thank you. It continues to speak to us uh, week after week. Yes, we are living in uncertain times and, and we sometimes wonder what difference can we make? What, how do we respond to this or that? And I thank you that you 
are using us as agents of change in this world around us. You are inviting us to a deeper, deeper life with you kind of a call. The kind of the kind of invitation, it'll change everything. It will transform absolutely everything. It's, it's, not, it's not a promise of beer and Skittles, but, but deep, deep, deep inside, you'll begin that transforming work, which is, which is unstoppable, so that we will say, along with Peter and John's reflection, we're, we're powerless to stop what God is doing inside of us. Oh, Jesus, we long for that. We long for that. And I just want to... I want to particularly think of folk here today. Um, this week has had many, many concerns, many challenges, and, and this morning you're calling folk back to you. They realize that perhaps um, they've been living life over, under, from or for you, but not life with you. And, and that's the change that needs to happen. Maybe this morning, you need to just tell Father that. I don't want things to be the same. I've once experienced it, but I lost sight of it. I once knew it, but, but it seemed... Up until this morning, a bit out of my grasp. But here it is again, an opportunity, an invitation to press into you. And Jesus, I so want you. I so want you. It's never too late. Know that the Father's arms are open. You know that. Press into Jesus this morning. Come, press in. Welcome him. Welcome him back. Choose life with God. It's too tough doing it by yourself. Come, come home. Come home and choose life with Jesus again. Let it become that unstoppable force within you. You know you want it. Just say yes. Jesus, gather up all of these prayers each and every one of us. Thank you that we're family. Thank you for calling us home and including us with you. Thank you for giving us a name that we can call upon any time. And it will be so. We love you, Lord. We love you.